Hello, everyone, and welcome to the August 8th edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the Floyd Scarron Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. So let's get started with our litigation report. The WCAB affirmed an award with 60% apportionment and clarified the application of the Hikaida Rule. The Hikaida Rule was a result of the 2017 published Court of Appeal decision in the case of Hikaida versus WCAB. Hikaida suffered a failed surgical attempt to treat her industrial injury. The effects of the failed surgery caused her permanent disability, although the industrial injury itself had multiple factors that might have contributed to her disability. The Court of Appeal ruled that the disability caused by the failed surgery could not be apportioned to the factors that caused her industrial injury. Now, in this case, Christina Jackson was not successful in using this Hikaida failed surgery disability rule in appealing the apportionment of permanent disability in her case. Christina Jackson was working as a package handler for FedEx Ground Package Systems in 2015 when she sustained an admitted injury to her right and left knee. The QME diagnosed her with bilateral post-traumatic osteoarthritis, and she had total knee replacements in both knees and described her medical history, which included prior bilateral meniscectomies in 1995 and 1996 and a left ACL reconstruction in 1992. The QME apportioned 60% of the disability to pre-existing and 40% to the industrial injury and explained that Jackson had prior surgeries when she fell off a curb in 2016 and also had obesity resulting in a generative changes that made the bilateral total knee replacement surgeries necessary. All of this was the basis for the permanent disability. So the work comp judge found permanent disability of 21% after 60% apportionment to other factors of permanent disability under Labor Code Section 4663C. So Jackson argued on reconsideration that since her permanent disability rating was based on her bilateral knee replacement surgeries, which were necessitated by the industrial injury, she was entitled to an unapportioned award of pursuant to the Hikaida rule. But the WCAB panel affirmed the apportionment and clarified the discussion of Hikaida in a panel decision of Jackson versus FedEx. The panel said that the QME convincingly explained that apportionment of the need for both knee surgeries applied equally to apportionment of the permanent impairment. The panel went on to explain that while the Hakaida principle is not limited to situations involving failed treatment or new injuries, in the 2020 case of County of Santa Clara versus WCAB, the Court of Appeal limited Hakaida when it said Hakaida precludes apportionment only where the industrial medical treatment is the sole cause of the permanent disability. In Hakaida, the injured employee developed the entirely new medical condition of CRPS following her treatment and surgery, whereas in this case, the applicant had significant prior history of the same knee problems 
and degenerative conditions, some of them non-industrial, which continued up to the date of injury. And another WCAB panel said it has no duty to rescue an applicant from the take-nothing when he was not honest and candid and did not present substantial evidence in support of his injury. The applicant here was Robert Bacchus, a 40-year-old salesman for Shearson Brothers who filed two applications alleging injury to his low back and lower extremities. Both claims were denied by the employer. After several days of trial, the work comp judge found that Mr. Bacchus did not sustain an injury and ordered that he take nothing by way of his claim. And the WCAB denied his petition for reconsideration the panel decision of Robert Bacchus versus Sherson Brothers. On reconsideration, Mr. Bacchus contended that the reports from the QME Allen Fonseca, MD, were not properly considered regarding the issue of AOE-COE, and that his unimpeached and uncontradicted testimony must be accepted as substantial evidence, and that the record should be further developed. However, both the panel and the WCAB judge both noted that despite his claim of being credible about his injury, he had highly questionable credibility due to the fact that he failed to disclose his prior back injury to either examining physician and initially denied such injury under oath until confronted with the records. And his direct testimony was in fact rebutted by a defense witness. The panel went on to say that most of his remaining arguments were premised upon his contention that the work comp judge erred by not considering the reports from McQME, Dr. Von Sika. However, the trial records did not contain any reports from Dr. Von Sika, and they must not have been admitted into evidence. Some error here. As to the issue of whether the record should be further developed, the panel said the appeals board has the discretionary authority to develop the record when the record does not contain substantial evidence pertaining to a threshold issue. But, citing numerous case authorities, the panel went on to say, if a party fails to meet its burden of proof by failing to introduce competent evidence, it is not the job of the appeals board to rescue that party by ordering the record to be developed. The New York Attorney General filed an antitrust lawsuit in state court in Manhattan against CVS Health Corporation, alleging that CVS did not allow New York safety net hospitals and clinics to use the company of their choice to obtain subsidies on prescriptions filled at CVS pharmacies. This pertained to a federal 340B program which allows safety net hospitals and clinics to purchase certain drugs at a discount from pharmaceutical companies and use the savings for patient care. To realize the benefits of this federal program, safety net hospitals and clinics must contract with the pharmacies that are used by their patients. But under the CVS scheme, thousands of safety net healthcare providers across the state were allegedly only allowed to use WellPartner to process claims filed at CVS retail 
and specialty pharmacies, forcing them to incur millions of dollars in additional costs to hire and train staff and change their data systems to align with the WellPartner system. As of 2021, there were more than 4,400 safety net healthcare providers enrolled in the 340 program across New York. Most safety net providers contract with a third-party administrator, or TPA, to administer their 340B programs. The TPAs confirm eligibility for each transaction and keep detailed records as required by the federal 340 program rules. In 2017, CVS acquired a TPA called WellPartner and began requiring New York hospitals to use WellPartner rather than another TPA. The New York Office of the Attorney General's investigation found CVS pharmacies did not contract with hospitals that do not use WellPartner as their TPA, which is an alleged violation of New York's antitrust laws. The Office of the Attorney General found that CVS's plan was to leverage the strength of its retail pharmacy network in New York to force hospitals to use WellPartner rather than any other TPA. Many hospitals objected because they were already using other TPAs. So the Attorney General is seeking injunctive relief, equitable monetary relief for the lost revenue, and additional costs safety net health care providers were forced to incur and civil penalties for CVS's unfair and illegal business practices. But CVS said these allegations are without merit and they will defend themselves vigorously. And in a case involving disability rights law, Abelardo Martinez Jr. filed a civil lawsuit against Cotton Wash, Incorporated, alleging a single violation of the California Unruh Civil Rights Act by intentionally maintaining a retail website that was inaccessible to the visually impaired because it was not fully compatible with screen reading software. Mr. Martinez is permanently blind and uses screen readers in order to access the Internet and read website content. The UNRU Act provides that disabled persons in California are entitled to the full and equal accommodations, advantages, facilities, privileges, or services in all business establishments of every kind whatsoever. But Cotton Wash is not alleged to offer any products and services at any physical location or in any manner other than through its website. So the trial court sustained a demur to the complaint without leave to amend. And the Court of Appeal affirmed the dismissal in the published case of Martinez v. Cotton Wash, Incorporated. On appeal, Mr. Martinez argues that the trial court erred in concluding the alleged inaccessibility of the website did not violate the Federal Americans with Disabilities Act and the California Unruh Act. The Court of Appeal held that the trial court was correct on both points. The key issue was whether the website constitutes a, quote, place of public accommodation where these two acts apply. The ADA defines the phrase public accommodation by enumerating 12 categories of covered places and establishments 
giving non-exclusive examples of types of enterprises following into each category. And the listed examples mainly reference physical locations. Then the implementing regulations similarly define a public accommodation by referring to a facility, which is in turn defined as all or any portion of buildings, structures, sites, complexes, equipment, rolling stock, or other real or personal property. And the court noted that this was not surprising since there were no commercial websites when the ADA was enacted way back in 1990. On the other hand, Mr. Martinez argued that the plain meaning of place of public accommodation is alone sufficient for the Court of Appeal to adopt the broader view taken by several, several federal courts, namely, that a physical place is not a necessary component of the ADA's definition of a place of public accommodation. However, the opinion disagreed that the plain language of the statute is alone sufficient to decide the issue, let alone sufficient to decide the issue in Martinez's favor. The opinion went on to note that Congress and the Department of Justice have long been aware of the confusion in the courts regarding whether and when a website can be considered a place of public accommodation but they have chosen not to clarify the issue through amendments to the statute or additional rulemaking. Thus, the court in this case followed the plain meaning of the words and concluded that a website is not a place of public accommodation subject to the Americans with Disabilities Act without a companion physical facility. And now our crime report. 47-year-old Richard James McGee, who lives in San Bernardino, was arraigned on two felony counts of workers' compensation insurance fraud. After an investigation found he allegedly misrepresented injuries to employer in order to receive over $30,000 in undeserved disability payments. McGee was a motorcycle mechanic who claimed he suffered an unwitnessed work-related injury in 2019 to his arm, and right shoulder when a gas tank fell and pinned his arm against a motorcycle. McGee began receiving temporary total disability payments when his work restrictions could not be accommodated. But an investigation began after McGee's co-workers saw photos on multiple social media platforms in which he was actively racing his motorcycle and riding his downhill mountain bike, activities requiring the use of both of his arms and his shoulders. It was also discovered that Mr. McGee was operating his own motorcycle mechanic shop out of his garage, a company he named Inland Empire Motorsports. So in 2020, during a QME exam, McGee told his physician he could no longer work as a motorcycle mechanic and he could no longer ride his mountain bike and had not done so since his injury. However, surveillance video showed McGee riding his mountain bike at a mountain bike park in Running Springs, California, in which he took his mountain bike off large jumps and crashed his mountain bike. When department detectives presented the social media posts and surveillance video to the physician who did his exam, the physician said that McGee had not accurately represented his injury and physical abilities and that McGee had lied during the exam. 
Department of Insurance detectives arrested McGee and he was booked into the West Valley Detention Center and the San Bernardino County District Attorney's Office is prosecuting his case. And in regulatory news, OSHA has once again cited Dollar Tree Incorporated, one of the nation's largest discount retailers, for workplace safety violations, and they imposed $1.2 million in penalties following an inspection of two of its stores in Ohio. The company operates more than 16,000 stores across the 48 contiguous states and five Canadian provinces, and is supported by a nationwide logistics network. It has more than 193,000 employees. In its press release, OSHA claims that the company continues to expose employees to the risk of injuries by flagrantly ignoring workplace safety regulations at the two facilities it inspected. OSHA has conducted more than 500 inspections at Family Dollar and Dollar Tree stores since 2017 and found more than 300 violations. OSHA says it routinely finds exit routes, fire extinguishers, and electrical panels dangerously obstructed or blocked, unsafe walking, working surfaces, and unstable stacks of merchandise. An OSHA initiated the inspections last January in this case, following an employee report of unsafe conditions at the Family Dollar store on Dunham Road in Maple Heights, Ohio. The agency issued citations for one repeat violation and four willful violations, with proposed penalties nearing $700,000. Then two weeks later, OSHA opened another inspection in response to an employee complaint of water leaking through the ceiling causing wet floors and ceiling tiles on the floor at the Lockbourne Road store in Columbus, Ohio. As a result of this inquiry, the agency proposed nearly $550,000 in penalties for one serious and one repeat violation and four willful violations. The company has 15 business days from receipt of its citations to contest the findings. The California Insurance Commissioner announced a major legal action against Mercury Insurance for violating consumer protection laws by selling Mercury's highest-priced policy to good drivers instead of the lowest-priced policy for which good drivers qualify. This legal enforcement action comes after a department investigation found numerous areas where Mercury's business practices harm policyholders across its private passenger auto, homeowners, commercial auto, and commercial multi-policy lines of insurance. This action comes after Mercury previously paid $27.6 million fine in August 2019, the largest fine against a property and casualty insurance in the California Department of Insurance history. The California Supreme Court upheld the department's action in the prior case, finding Mercury charged consumers unapproved and unfairly discriminatory rates. Much like in that case, the department's newest legal action against Mercury also allege violations of California Proposition 103, passed by the voters in 1988, to allow the insurance commissioner to protect consumers from excessive and unfairly discriminatory rates. 
By passing Prop 103, California voters mandated a 20% good driver discount for consumers who maintain a safe driving record. The department's investigation found that Mercury attempted to evade the requirement of Prop 103 by steering good drivers into a higher-priced plan. Mercury maintains two insurance companies in California, Mercury Insurance Company, which is exclusively for good drivers and charges lower rates, and California Automobile Insurance Company, which charges higher rates for nearly identical coverage, but they insure all drivers. The department's investigation found a number of ways that Mercury illegally sold and steered drivers to its company with the higher price plan. The department alleges that Mercury also overcharged businesses and homeowners in other lines of insurance through a variety of illegal practices that resulted in unfairly discriminatory rates. The allegations against the insurer, 34 of them in all, are detailed in the department's notice of non-compliance on its website. And in medical news, in this month's release of the final inpatient prospective payment system, CMS detailed numerous changes from a fiscal year 2023 proposal it had laid out in April. And it seems that it has pulled back on certain plans to pause public reporting on certain hospital safety data in the wake of pushback from patient safety advocates. The hospital safety data in question was a composite measure of 10 patient safety indicators, including pressure sores, falls, and sepsis called PSI-90. The agency would have stopped calculating these composite indicators in hospitals and stopped publishing them as part of the star ratings found on the government's Care Compare website. CMS said at the time its decision was intended to shield hospitals that had been harder hit by the COVID-19 pandemic and subsequently received a financial and publicity hit compared with hospitals in less impacted regions. The agency said it will include now the measure in star ratings in alignment with the feedback it received. And although this measure will be publicly reported, it will not be used in payment calculations to providers in order to avoid unintentional penalties related to the uneven impacts of COVID-19 across the country. The agency's decision received a warm welcome from the LeapFrog Group, a patient safety watchdog that has been petitioning the government with letters, reports, and informational webinars to keep the hospital quality measure available to the public. Laguna Honda and Rehabilitation Center is a skilled nursing and rehabilitation center owned and operated by the San Francisco Department of Public Health. It is located on a 62-acre campus in the heart of the city of San Francisco. Laguna Honda is one of the largest, largest skilled nursing facilities in the United States and represents one of the most extensive commitments by a city or county to therapeutic care for seniors and adults with disabilities. It was founded in 1866 to care for one of the first generations of San Franciscans, the Gold Rush Pioneers. A century and a half later, 
It remains a civic icon, representing San Francisco's tradition of service to the underserved. Then in July 2021, Laguna Honda self-reported two non-fatal overdoses to the California Department of Public Health as required by Laguna Honda policy and federal regulations. That report triggered a series of inspections by California Department of Public Health and CMS. As a result, Laguna Honda was cited for deficiencies in care related to cigarette lighters and drug paraphernalia found on its 62-acre campus, infection prevention and control, as well as two missed doses of a medication. And despite Laguna Honda's work to correct the cited deficiencies, CMS terminated its Medicare and Medicaid provider agreements as a result of these deficiencies. The City of San Francisco has appealed that decision, and Laguna Honda intends to apply for recertification in both Medicare and Medicaid with CMS. However, to continue federal funding, Laguna Honda was forced to prepare a closure and transfer plan. Now, on May 13, 2022, CMS rejected all options proposed by local authorities in the hospital and insisted on an unreasonable patient transfer deadline of September 13, 2022, giving Laguna Honda just four months before federal funding would be cut off and the facility would be forced to close. And close to 700 patients would have to be transferred or discharged. But there is an acute shortage of skilled nursing beds throughout California and the Bay Area, and it is simply impossible to find skilled nursing beds for all of Laguna Honda's 700 patients within the time frame mandated by CMS. Additionally, now the city filed three administrative appeals contesting the CMS decision to terminate its contract with Laguna Honda. These administrative appeals will not be decided until well after the September 13 deadline to close the facility, effectively denying the city, Laguna Honda, and patients the due process they are owed. Thus far, nine patients who have been transferred or discharged from Laguna Honda have died days or weeks after transfer or discharge, underscoring the incredibly high stakes of moving such a fragile population of people in a rushed manner. However, San Francisco City Attorney David Chu and former City Attorney Louise Rennie announced that they filed a pair of lawsuits over the federal government's decision to cut off federal funding to Laguna Honda Hospital and Rehabilitation Center and mandate that the facility transfer or discharge all patients by September 13. And in other industry news, Cisco Systems Incorporated, commonly known as just Cisco, is an American-based multinational technology conglomerate corporation headquartered in San Jose, California. Cisco's total number of employees in 2021 was 79,500, and it was a 2.58% increase from 2020. And the California tech giant says it is determined to monitor the mental health of its nearly 80,000 employees during all of the current national and international turmoil. That's why its chairman and CEO, as well as the head of HR, 
ordered a team of company researchers to create and validate a measure of employee well-being. Representatives of the team shared their processes and findings in a presentation at the Work Human Live Conference in Atlanta. According to the HR director's post on the company blog, focusing on people first has always been Cisco's way, and COVID-19 tested Cisco's resolve to be compassionate, understanding, and responsive to the challenges and crises. She highlighted some of the tools and strategies used at Cisco, such as virtual fitness, so that employees and their families can participate in fitness classes and training tailored to their needs. They extended the Employee Assistance Program, or EAP, into the community so that its U.S. employees can share a free emotional crisis and support helpline with friends and family who do not have access to needed resources. The company says this helps to manage the stress and anxiety related to challenges such as COVID-19 and socioeconomic issues. And Cisco appreciates its partners who are helping to offer this service, such as Telemental Health, by making it easier for people to find mental health professionals and by offering solutions that remove the geographical and physical barriers that prevent access. Another partner at Think is Rethink, a digital platform that helps to support patients of children with a learning, social, behavioral challenge, or a developmental disability. Rethink offers resources and practical advice along with one-on-one advice with professional phone consultants. And the Partner Benefits Advisor combines both technology and personalized coaching and provides a solution that will help employees make holistically sound decisions regarding their personal health and financial well-being. And earlier this year, Cisco published a study showing that hybrid working has helped improve employee well-being, work life, balance, and performance across the world. Cisco's study found that 6 in 10 of its employees believe that quality of work has improved, and a similar number felt that their productivity has been enhanced. Three-quarters of the employees, that's 76%, also feel their role can now be performed just as successfully remotely as in the office. However, this survey of 28,000 employees from 27 countries reveals that only one in four think that their company is very prepared for a hybrid work future. So that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish our daily news podcast and other utilities on our free WorkCompApps.com smartphone app. Again, I'm Renee Foles of Floyd, Scarin, Manuki, and Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.